And now we take you to Evangel Church in Tallahassee, Florida, to another powerful, life-changing message. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. Let me ask you a couple of questions as we get going today. How many of you believe that prayer is important? How many verses are there in the Bible that deal with the subject of prayer? There's about 500. How many of you believe that faith in God is important? How many verses do you think there are in the Bible that deal with faith in God? There's about 500. But did you know that there are over 2,000 verses in the Bible that deal with money and possessions? In fact, you know, Jesus taught 38 parables. A parable is a story. He used stories of his day to illustrate the points that he was making. And there, if, if you add up the, the parables of Jesus and the Gospels, you'll find that there are 38 separate parables. Of those 38 parables, over 16 of them have to do with money and possessions. And so, dear ones, from God's perspective, he's interested in what we do with our money. In fact, uh, let, me, let me share with you two principles, two takeaways that will help you today. Number one, here's the first takeaway. Money is actually a test from God. How you handle money reveals volumes about your priorities, your loyalties, and your affections. Money is actually a test from God. How many say, I just wish I had more money? I, I just wish I had more cash flow. Most of us could say that. Well, Jesus gives us a foundational verse in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Here's a foundational verse for this subject, and it's, it is found here in Matthew 6, verse 21. Look at that top scripture. It's kind of small this morning, but anyway, it says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, is where your heart's going to be. Now, everybody look at me. See, I've heard some guys get on the radio and preach that where your heart is, is where your treasure's going to be. But again, I get it mixed up. Dear ones, our heart always follows that which we value. Our heart always values that which is important in our lives. See, if I really treasure my wife, Kathy, then my heart is always going to be for Kathy. If Kathy's important to me, then I'm going to be thinking about how can I bring pleasure, how can I bring blessing into Kathy's life? You know, back in 1992, there's a book written called The Five Love Languages. And I bought it when it first came out. It's by a man named Gary Chapman. And Gary Chapman teaches that there are five primary love languages that most of us use to express love for others and also to receive love. And, and one of the things I discovered is that my wife's primary love languages are quality time and acts of service. And uh, those are not my love languages. That's not the way I would normally express love. But I realized that if I was going to see 1 Peter chapter 3 tells us, it says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding manner. How many of you men understand your wives? <laughs> not a whole lot of hands going up. Somebody said that 
that men's brains are kind of like Swiss cheese and women's brains are like spaghetti. We have one track, guys. We were kind of we're kind of tunnel vision. We we can think about one thing at a time, and women's brains are like spaghetti because they can think about a whole lot of things that are intersecting. They can be talking about this one moment, then they're talking about that, then they're talking about something else. Well, I found out my wife's love language was in addition to acts of service was quality time. And so what Kathy and I started doing in 1992, now I'm pastoring, after church on Sundays, we'd go home and we would take out our Bibles and we would read a chapter together and we would talk and then we would pray together and then we started looking at our calendars for the next week sometimes for the next two weeks, and I listened as Kathy told me everything she had planned with the children and with the church and everything going on in her life, and I would tell her the things, the appointments that I had on my calendar, and then we would pray together over those things. Now, here's the truth. I enjoy spending time with Kathy, but she loved spending that time together because she had my Attention. She wasn't having to share my attention with anybody else. She wouldn't have to talk to me between commercials. She, she wouldn't have to say, put the newspaper down or get off the internet. She had my undivided attention because that's her love language. Not only that, but I discovered that her love language is acts of service. Now, my, you see, you love people the way you're made. My wife is a, has got a servant heart and she loves to serve other people. And so I started asking myself, what can I do to serve her? Again, this was back in 1992. We've got small children. And I thought, well, one of the things I can do is I can start making the bed. And I didn't make it up every, and I still don't make it up every morning, but I make it up a lot of mornings. And I do it because I know that's how I'm communicating to her that I love her. Not only do I make up the bed, but many evenings I'm washing the dishes. How many of you know I don't like to wash dishes? If you want to communicate that you love me by washing my dishes, that's not going to get it done. But you know what? It communicates volumes to my wife because I'm telling her that I love her. Do you know that even sometimes I will vacuum the floors? Not because I like to vacuum floors, but I vacuum floors because, again, I'm communicating to Kathy that, hey, honey, I love you. You know, about 25 years ago, I was introduced to the DIS personality profile, the, the DIS temp- temperament um, um, questionnaire. Because we've all got, we're a combination of four different temperaments. All of us are that way. Before I used a DISC, I used to use the Myers-Briggs. And, and, and I remember giving Kathy the DISC profile. And I found out that, see, see you're either, you have a dominant personality or, or, you, or you're an influencer or you're a very stable person or you're very conscientious or you're a mixture of those four. And I found out that my wife is a stable person who is an influencer. She's an SI. What that means is that she's very stable her highs aren't too high and her lows aren't too low she is she's a great person to be around number one and number two I learned that she's a high eye that means she's an influencer she's a people person she's a party going someplace to happen she's never going to be happy as a hermit she's never going to be happy being by herself she wants to be with other people 
And so I have learned over the years to pick up the phone and call my wife because I love her. Because Jesus said that where your treasure is, is where your heart is. And so my heart is with my wife and I've learned to ask her the right kind of questions. Let me tell you what kind of questions really, really work with my wife. Honey, have you talked to your mother today? Because she's a people person that fills her tank. Honey, have you talked to our daughter Catherine today or our daughter Kristen or our daughter Terry today? Have you talked to one of your three sisters today? Have you talked to your friends? Have you made plans to go have coffee with your friends again? See, dear ones, it's all about filling, filling her tank, loving her. Well, again, Jesus says where your treasure is, there your heart's going to be also. And then he said over in Luke chapter 16, Luke 16 verse 10, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who's going to trust you with true riches. Let's pause right there and just ask, what are the true riches he's talking about? I believe the true riches are the things of the kingdom of God. I believe the true riches are the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It's the manifest presence of God. I believe the true riches are, are, are healing and deliverance and wholeness. Somebody say hallelujah. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who's going to trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with somebody else's property, who will give you property of your own? Dear ones, the stewardship of our resources, whether we have a lot or whether we have a little, the stewardship of our resources is actually a test from God. Now, now here's the second takeaway. It's this, God wants to be first in your life. He doesn't want to be second. He doesn't want to be third. He wants to be number one in your life. And there are four ways you can tell if God's number one in your life. Number one, when God is number one, you're going to have a heart for God and you're going to have a heart for the things of God. I meet people who sometimes tell me, Pastor Terrell, I love Jesus, I just don't like church so much. And I think, what's wrong with that statement? If you love Jesus, you're going to love that which, we, which he died for. Some people say, I love Jesus, but I don't like church because, well, I got hurt one time in church. Dear ones, anytime you become part of an organization, your wants and needs and desires and plans and, 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 and perspective are going to come into conflict with somebody else's wants and needs and plans and perspective. And, and dear ones, there is the possibility of conflict. But John says, people don't know we're Christians just because we go to church. He says, they'll know we're Christians because we have love one for another. And it means we're willing to work through that conflict. It means we're, we're willing to hang in there with each other and love our differences and discuss the things that we don't understand and get it worked out. Somebody say hallelujah. See, when God is first, you'll have a heart for God and for the things of God. Jesus one day was asked, well, what's the greatest commandment, Lord? And he says, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, 
with all your mind. And the second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Rodney Howard Brown, he tells the story. He said a man had just come to his church and given his heart to the Lord and he'd been a Christian for about a month and he came up to Pastor Rodney and he had heard Rodney teach on loving God and he said, uh, Pastor Rodney, I just have to tell you, I really, I, I love God, I love Jesus, but Pastor, I really love female flesh. Pastor, I, I dream about female flesh. He says, my wife, We've been married for over 20 years, but we're just not happy together. I don't think I, I, I particularly fulfill her and she doesn't fulfill me. And pastor, I've always had me a girlfriend on the side and I love God, but I just love this female flesh. Dear ones, I've had people say to me before, say, pastor, I don't know what it is, but the thrill's gone out of my marriage. We've been married for a number of years and, you know, I, I just don't, I don't think that I'm what she wants or she is what I want anymore. And I always ask a couple of questions at that point. I ask number one, I said, how do you resolve differences? When you have, when you have conflict in your marriage, how do you resolve it? And invariably, invariably, I'll get this kind of response. Well, we don't resolve it. We have an argument. We just each goes to our separate bedroom and we just spend a couple of hours there and then we start talking like nothing ever happened before. Well, dear ones, the only problem with sweeping everything under the rug is after a while you're going to walk on a lumpy rug. And dear ones, behind every dysfunctional marriage, behind every divorce, let me tell you where it starts. It starts with not resolving conflict. It starts, see the Bible gives us a principle. It says, don't let the sun, this is Ephesians 4, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Because when we allow the sun to go down on our wrath, when we have conflict that doesn't get resolved, how many of you know it's not better the next day necessarily? Oh, we may try to ignore it. We may try to act like it's not there. But let me tell you something. It will get bigger and bigger and wounds get infected and, and, and relationships grow toxic. And that's what happens. You'll find a man and a woman. They've been married for many years. And on the outside, looking in, things look great but when you get down in the middle of it man they're like two strangers living under the same roof because they've stopped communicating because she doesn't feel honored and respected by him and he doesn't feel honored and respected by her and they're just kind of in an endurance contest Kathy and I just celebrated 44 years of marriage last month amen my flower of beauty fair and one of the things I learned, you know, that, you know, they say that love is blind, but marriage is an eye opener. One of the things that, that, that we learned really quick is that we couldn't let the sun go down on our wrath. I think the, the most, the worst night of my life, we just gotten married and man, we had an argument and it was, it was a pretty heated exchange. I'm just glad the steak knives had been put up already. It was a heated exchange and I got upset with her and I said, I'm not going to sleep with you. And I took a pillow and I went to the sofa and I laid on the sofa and I tossed and turned. It was a horrible night. The next day I said, honey, please forgive me. 
She says, oh, sweetheart, please forgive me. We couldn't even remember what caused the argument to start with. Have you ever been there? You ever had an argument that, that just kind of escalates, you know, and, 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 and she says this and he says that and, and you say something else and then that other person says something else and pretty soon you start kitchen sinking each other. You throw everything except the kitchen sink at one another. And in the final analysis, when everything's said and done, it doesn't really matter who was right and who was wrong. What, is, what matters is that you get it reconciled, that you get it resolved. Well, Kathy and I, after that night on the sofa, I thought, I'm never going to do this again. And I was reading in Ephesians chapter 4, and I was thinking, Pastor Zach, about Paul's got this, 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 this passage where he talks about how not to grieve the Holy Spirit. That word grieve means to, to bring injury to the Holy Spirit. It means to, to wound the Holy Spirit. Did you know that you can wound the Holy Ghost? You say, well, that's God. How in the world can I do that? Well, the Holy Spirit lives inside you. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes when we have ungodly attitudes, we can wound the spirit of the living God. And you'll say, I don't know what's wrong. God just doesn't seem to be as close to me. I don't seem to sense his presence. Well, it, it, it may be that you need to just check your attitude and see if you've been grieving him. Well, in that context of teaching on grieving the Holy Spirit, Paul uses these words. He says, and, and let not the sun go down on your wrath. But in other words, be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath is the way he says it. And Kathy and I read that together and we said, honey, let's agree. We're never going to let the sun go down on our wrath. Let me tell you how that plays out. We're pastoring in, in the Chicago area. Chicago is a huge area. Over 100 suburbs comprise that, that, that almost 9 million person area. And sometimes I'm over on the west side of Chicago. Maybe I've gone over to Wheaton and I've, and I've gone to visit somebody in a hospital. It'd take me all day long just to make a hospital call. So here I'm over in Wheaton. I've visited somebody. I'm trying to get back to Libertyville. It's taken me two and a half hours at rush hour to go about 45 miles because the traffic is so heavy. I'm seeing the sun starting to, to set. And I'm remembering that that morning, Kathy and I had harsh words before I drove, before I left the house. We had a misunderstanding. We had conflict. And I'm thinking, oh, no, I can't let the sun go down on my wrath. These were in the days even before you had cell phones. I've gotten off the interstate before, and I found a drugstore, and I found a, a payphone, and I put my quarters in, and I'm hoping Kathy will answer, and I'll say, Kathy, the sun's getting ready to go down. Please forgive me. Man, I remember when I got my first cell phone. Some of you remember those first cell phones. They were about this big. You remember that? I remember I, got my, I had my first cell phone. It was huge. Thank God I had that huge cell phone. Now I could call Kathy with my huge boat cell phone. And I could say, Kathy, forgive me. Folks, it's a good, good practice. You, 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 you see, dear ones, when you love God with all your heart, when he's number one, it's going to show in your relationships. It'll show up in your marriage. It, 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 it'll show up in everything in life. You'll love your wife like Christ loves the church. And ladies, you'll honor your husband and you'll respect him. You say, Pastor, you just don't know the person I'm married to. I probably don't. Pastor, you just don't know the attitude that they get sometimes. 
I probably don't. But I'm telling you, you get attitudes too. It's quiet in this place this morning. Well, pastor, we got married and, you know, back when we were dating, she always looked so lovely and, and beautiful and, 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 well, think about this. When you're dating, you're always putting your best foot forward. Man, you're wearing your best clothes and you're on your best behavior and you spend hours primping. I'm talking about the man now. Come on. <laughs> and the women, everybody, you're primping and you want to look your best and then you get married. Oh, pastor, we got married, and boy, her makeup is all over the bathroom, and she's hung her pantyhose in the shower, and, and pastor, she just never fixes her hair now, never puts on her makeup unless she's going out, and she just, she's just not the same woman, it doesn't seem like, and then she starts talking and says, pastor, you won't believe what he does. Every night, every weekend, he just sits around in his underwear. He's watching ESPN. Pastor, he burps. He makes other strange noises. Well, you know what you got to do? You got to, even when you're married, you got to date each other. Even when you get married, you got to get dressed up for each other. You got to fix up your face and fix up your hair. That's a lot of work for me, too. You, you, you got to look your best and you, you, you got to splurge every now and then and, and take them out. And even if you don't have much money, take them to Golden Arches. You got to just get them out of the house. Yesterday afternoon, I got my wife out of the house. I spent about an hour with her. I splurged at Burger King and bought her an iced tea. <laughs> because I know what one of her love languages is. It's quality time. And I just gave her my ear for that hour. And you know, when we got back home, she was a lot happier than she was before we went. Glory to God. 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. She's not weaker emotionally or mentally or spiritually. She might be weaker physically and that's that's a question okay giving honor to the wife as a weaker vessel as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered i don't want anything to hinder my prayer life i don't want anything to keep my prayers from getting answered so what does that mean live with them in an understanding manner it means sir you understand your role and your responsibilities let me quickly tell you your role and responsibility number one is to be a lover Boy, I say that to some guys and they beat their chest and they say, yeah, that's me. You're to be a lover. You're to be a, a leader. That doesn't mean that you're dominant and keeping her under your foot. As a leader, you're a servant leader to your wife. You're finding ways to serve her. And when you make decisions, you make sure you're both in agreement on them. One of the worst decisions I ever made one day, I decided to, to surprise my wife with a brand new car. And I brought that brand new car home and I had it in front of the house. I said, Kathy, go out there and take a look. Whew. Some people's love languages are gifts and surprises. That is not her love language. I learned a lesson that day. Husbands, we're called to be a lover and a leader. You're called to be a listener. Why? 
Because women speak twice as many words in any given day than men do. And if your wife doesn't have you listening to her, then she's going to find somebody else that will listen to her. And dear ones, many affairs start at the office, not because people are attracted to one another, but because one person will listen to the other and show honor and respect. So husbands, we're called to be lovers and leaders and listeners, and we're called to be learners, lifelong learners. All of life, I've got to learn to live with her in an understanding manner. Somebody said, well, but Pastor, I, I tried that, but my, my wife keeps changing. <laughs> there are hormonal changes and there are other changes. Dear ones, the Bible says, and it came to pass. Why did it come to pass? It came to pass because things needed to change. Life is filled with changes. Sir, you change too. You have hormones too. Boy, it's quiet in here. <laughs> Love never fails. So when God is first, you're going to have a heart for God. Number two, this is a sub point. When God is first, you're going to make time for God. We're worshiping here today. We're giving God the first day of our week because it was on the first day of the week that Jesus rose from the dead. It was from the first day of the week that the early believers celebrated the resurrection of Jesus. And we give the first day of the week because we want to give it to the Lord. Some people believe the first day of the week is Monday. And they said, okay, I got to work. It's Monday. I got to get some money in the bank. And they give the first of their week to money. Some people celebrate the first of the week as Friday. I mean, they're all into, all into partying. They're all into recreation and, and leisure. And so they give the best of their week to partying and to recreation and to leisure. But as a believer in Christ, dear ones, I'm telling you, when you give the first of your week to worship, the whole week goes a whole lot better, doesn't it? Come on, that, yeah, I'm going to say that again. When you give the first day of the week to worship, it, it, it changes the whole week. It makes it, it redeems the other six days that are in the week. Dear ones, when you give the first of your day to the Lord, it will redeem the entire day. If you'll take the first moments of your day and turn to the Word of God. Man, I used to try to always turn to prayer first. But I've discovered over the years that if I'll go to the Word of God, and I don't always have time to read three chapters. Sometimes I've only got a time to, to read one chapter, but if I'll read it and meditate on it and then let my prayer come springing forth out of what I've read, and I'll get that down in my heart. Dear ones, I'm going to tell you, it brings me into the presence of God, into the manifest presence of the Holy Ghost like nothing else. Hallelujah. And if you'll give the first of your day to the Lord, it makes a huge, huge difference. Somebody say amen. amen. Number three, this again is a sub point. When God is number one, you're going to seek out opportunities to serve and to use your gifts and talents. First Peter 4.10 says, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Say, Pastor, I don't know what my gifts and talents are. 
Well, dear ones, let me tell you this. You're an original. And God's got a unique blueprint in you. And you've got gifts and talents that are unique. In fact, come and join Pastors Connect class. We meet every Sunday morning at 930 downstairs in room four. And on the third, the third week, Every third week in Pastor's Connect class, we'll administer spiritual gifts inventory and help you start understanding how the Romans chapter 12, the seven gifts of the Spirit mentioned there in the 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the nine gifts of the Spirit may be operative in your life. And we'll also acquaint you with opportunities to serve and to use your talents. Subpoint number four, when God is number one in your life, you're going to honor God with your treasure. When God's number one, you're going to honor him with your treasure. For many, many years, I'd read in the Old Testament about giving the firstborn to God and giving the first fruits to God. And I confess to you, I did not understand it. It just kind of went right over my head. Let me just show you some scriptures, and, 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 and may the Lord help me to make this clear to you. Exodus chapter 13, verse 1. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both the man and beast, it is mine. Now, why does God say this? Consecrate to me the firstborn. What is it that God likes about having the firstborn consecrated to him? Well, 16 times in the Bible, God says, bring the firstborn to me. Look at verses 12 and 13. He says, that you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb. That is every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have the males shall be the lord's but every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb let me just stop there every firstborn of a donkey you say jesus or or, or god here says listen if it's an unclean animal something that is not sacrificially kosher if it's a camel, if it's a donkey, you're going to redeem them with a clean animal. You're going to offer them to me. Okay? That's the reason he says this. But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, and if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And all the firstborn of man, now listen to this, talking about people here, all the firstborn of man among you, your sons you shall redeem. Okay? Now what's he saying here? He's saying... When a male goat or sheep or cow, turtle dove, person is born, God says, I want you to give them to me. And if you're not going to give them to me, you're supposed to, not with people, but with animals, you're supposed to, he said, break their neck. In other words, the, 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 there's no option. Now, why in the world would he say that? It doesn't seem to make sense to us. Dear ones, here's the deal. When your little heifer, who you've raised from the time that she was a calf, when your little heifer gives birth to that first 
bull, that represents increase in your life. This is an agricultural society. You know, we may make, make money because we're, we're on the payroll someplace. People who are farmers, they made money when, when the heifer gave birth to the bull. Now, dear ones, you don't know how many more bulls your heifer is going to have. All you know is you've got one. But God says, I want you to bring the one to me because the one is important to me. I want you to sacrifice it to me. Now, again, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us until we start understanding. John the Baptist was baptizing on the banks of the Jordan River, and Jesus comes walking up and John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was born without sin. He was holy. He did not need to be redeemed by an animal. And yet when Jesus was circumcised, you'll remember in Luke chapter 2, when Jesus is circumcised and brought into the temple, his parents sacrificed not a lamb because they couldn't afford that. They sacrificed a turtle dove. They were redeeming Jesus. Jesus, now listen to me. Jesus is our redeemer. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but should have everlasting life. God gave Jesus as a tithe. God gave his very best to redeem you and me. God gave Jesus so that we might be redeemed, so that we might be in relationship with him. The reason God wants us to give our firstborn. The reason in the Old Testament this was so important is because God says, I want you to trust me. It's the same thing true with our tithing. When you give God from the first fruits of your income, when you give your tithe to the Lord, what you're doing is saying, God, I'm giving you this first 10% because the tithe belongs to you. But I'm believing you to help me stretch this 90%. God, I'm believing you to make a way where there doesn't appear to be a way. God, I'm believing you for financial wisdom. God, I'm trusting you. Are you with me? Okay, now the same thing is true with the principle of the first fruits. Exodus 23 verse 19. The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. Everybody say the first. The first of the first fruits, not the last of the first fruits, not the middle of the first fruits, but the first of the first fruits. Let's say you plant an apple tree. And oh, you love your apple tree. You're nurturing and cultivating your apple tree. You're watering your apple tree. You're fertilizing your apple tree. Year after year, you're watching it grow. It finally gets big enough that it's, that it's got blossoms on it. And then finally, there are some apples that appear. You are so excited. Oh, you made this investment. It's taken you eight or nine years, but finally, finally you got some fruit that's growing. And God says, the first of the first fruits of your land, I want you to bring into the house house of the Lord. And you're thinking, but I did all this work. I'm the one that fertilized. I bought the tree. I planted the tree. I watered the tree. I cultivated the tree. I've, 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 I've sprayed it for fungus. I've tried to keep the disease and the worms out. Now I've got these apples and now God says, he wants the apples. What's this about? The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. What is God saying? That very first harvest 
of those apples. He says, I want you to bring them to me. Here's the deal. You don't know if you're going to have any more apples. You don't know how many more harvests are going to be had. All you know is that this is a little painful right now because it's sacrificial on your part because, again, you're not making money. You're not on anybody's payroll. When you make money as a farmer, you make money because your crops are showing a yield. You're making money because your, your, your animals are, are, are bearing other animals. You're making money because of those crops, and now you're giving this first to God. What is this about? How many of you remember two fellows in the Bible named Cain and Abel? Do you remember them? Genesis chapter 3 and 4. Cain and Abel were brothers. They were the children of Adam and Eve. Cain, Cain was a farmer, but Abel was a shepherd. And the Bible says in the process of time, in the process of time, they began to worship God. Abel brought the firstborn of his sheep, sacrificed it to God. But Cain, he just brought some of his crops. He sacrificed that to God. The Bible says that God was pleased with Abel's sacrifice, but not with Cain's. He was pleased because Abel had brought the firstborn of his flock to the Lord. Cain had just brought a careless offering. He had just brought some of his crops. Dear ones, here's the truth. God doesn't need our offerings. God does not need the firstborn or the first fruits, but God knows that we need to be giving because He has established a principle from time eternity, and it's from Genesis to Revelation that if you give, it's going to be given back to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. In your mind's eye, I want you to see Joshua. And the children of Israel. Boy, their forefathers have been marching through the desert. And now it's time to take the city of Jericho. But God says, Joshua, when you take the city of Jericho, you're going to find some silver and you're going to find some gold. I want you to bring all this from the very first city you take, all the silver and gold. It comes into my house. You can personally, your soldiers, your warriors, when you take the second city and the third city and fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, whatever, all the rest of them, you can have all the plunder. You can have everything you find, but the very first belongs to me. And you'll remember there was a soldier named Achan. And Achan found some gold and some silver and a Babylonian garment, and he went and hid it in the floor of his tent. And you know what God said to Achan? God said, you are accursed. In other words, Achan, you brought a curse on the children of Israel taking the promised land because you have disobeyed me. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10 says, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. Now, don't get nervous. I'm not receiving a second offering, okay? I just, I just want, to, I want you to get this principle. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all of your increase. First fruits, okay? First fruits. First fruits. The first fruit off that apple tree. 
the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. So your barns will be filled with plenty. Dear ones, I don't know how many of you have barns, but I hope you've got a savings account. I hope you've got some investments. I hope you've got, you've got at least a checking account. I hope you've got, maybe, maybe you've got a, a little jar at home where you got some money in it. I hope, I hope you've got something that's the equivalent of a barn so that your barn will be filled with plenty. I want you to hear this preacher this morning. I want your barns filled with plenty. Not because I want what's in your barn, because I want you to be blessed. I want your barns to be filled with plenty. I want your vats to overflow with new wine. None of us, I don't think there's anybody here that's got a vat. But you got a savings account, right? Maybe you got a debit card, you got a checking account, you got some investments. I want your barns to be filled with plenty and your vats to overflow with new wine. Look at this. And that comes from honoring the Lord with your possessions and the first fruits. Everybody say first fruits of all your increase. Now let's go over to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi asked the question, will a man rob God? Yet you've robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and in offerings, you are cursed with a curse for you have robbed me even this whole nation dear ones i want you to get this i i I pray you can get this dear ones when we bring the tithe into the storehouse my tithe redeems the other 90 percent that i've got left over the tithe redeems the 90 percent When I don't bring the tithe into the storehouse, the Bible says I'm cursed with a curse. I am literally cursing the 100% that I've got. I know uh, this is not an easy thing to teach, but it's true. You're cursed with a curse for you've robbed me even the whole nation. Let's go to the next slide. For I am the Lord, I do not change. Over the years, I've had so many people come and say, Pastor Terrell, tithing is, is under the law. Tithing is part of the Old Testament. Well, let me just ask you a question. God says, I am the Lord, I change not. When did things change? Because Jesus affirms tithing in Matthew 23, verse 23. When do things change? Well, pastor, we're under grace now. Thank God we're under grace. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, we're under grace. Thank God we're not under the law. Let me ask you some questions. The law says thou shalt not commit adultery. Because that was under the law, and now we're under grace. Is it okay to commit adultery? No, it's still a sin, isn't it? The law said, thou shalt not lie. Now, because we're under grace, can we lie? I know there are a bunch of folks in Washington, D.C. that think you can, but, 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 but can you really? Is that right? No, it's not right. Lying is still a sin. The law said, thou shalt not steal. 
We're not under the law today. We're under grace. Does that make stealing okay? Absolutely not. Dear ones, everybody I've ever talked to who consistently tithes. Now, I've had some people say, well, Pastor, I tried that tithing thing and it just didn't work for me. Well, that may be the problem. You tried it maybe for a week or, or a month. You, I would say you need to at least do it for 90 days as a, as a minimum just to get started. But listen to me. I've had so many people say, well, well, I've tried that tithing thing or I just can't afford to, Pastor. I, said, I, just, I just can't afford to. But I've had others tell me who do tithe and who've given for years and they tithe. They say, Pastor, I can't afford not to tithe. I am blessed. God meets all of my need. The non-tither says I can't afford to. The tither says, I'm blessed. God takes care of me. What is that about? I couldn't afford to tithe before I started to tithe. I couldn't afford to give 10% before I started giving 10% because I tried to work it out on paper and it didn't always work out. And I'd get nervous about these bills and, and those bills and the other bills. How are we going to do it? Until it dawned on my lightning fast mind that when I give the 10%, the 10% is redeeming the 90%, just like the first fruits is redeeming the rest of the harvest, just like the firstborn is redeeming the rest of the children that are going to be born to that animal. Just as, as God says, I will bless you when you put me first. See, there's something about tithing. God, we put God first we begin to trust him hallelujah glory to God again relax I'm not receiving an offering I don't look to see what anybody here gives I have no idea what you give or don't give I leave that totally up to our bookkeeper but here's the deal I want you to be blessed of the Most High God. I want you to see the windows of heaven open, and I want you to pour out a blessing for you that there's not room to receive. But you got to put God first. You got to trust Him. Money is a test. It's a test of our hearts. If you can be Faithful in that which is little, God will make you faithful in that which is much. But you got it, your, your perspective of God is so important. Remember, the, Jesus told a parable. He says a, a king went on a trip and he gave one man ten talents and another five, and, and he gave another one one. And he says, Do business with this until I come back. And after a year or two, he came back, and the man he had given ten talents to, I don't know what he did. Maybe went out and bought some sheep and sheared their wool and took it to the fabric makers, had it made into cloth, and then had it dyed and then sold it at the market. I don't know what he did, but he doubled his money. And the guy with five talents, he doubles his money. And the guy with the one talent, he says, Lord, let me go get it. I, I buried it in the backyard because I know that you are a hard man. And there are some people that look at God. God, you are just so hard. You're difficult to please. Dear ones, let me tell you something. God's a God of love and he's concerned about you. 
And he's not just a hard God, he's a good God. The psalmist says the Lord is good and the Lord does good. He's a good God. And he says, I'll supply your every need according to his riches and glory. Now I'm just gonna, again, I'm not receiving an offering, but let me just go on record saying, we've, we've got some big needs here as a church. The, the first quote on replacing this roof is about $379,000. I don't know, the, our deacons are doing everything we can to get that price down. We wanna go ahead and install an elevator, do a new facade on the front, We've got a big vision. And I'm just, I'm just gonna go on record saying I believe that we serve a good God. And I believe that we're serving a God that's supplying every need. And I just believe, I just believe that we have all in abound. I just believe that God is making all grace abound towards this congregation. I believe that God is making all grace abound so that every need is supplied in the name of Jesus. Every need in your family, every need in your circle of friends, every need in this congregation, every need that this church has. David said, I've been young and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. Money's a test. It's a test of our hearts. It's a test of our loyalties and our affections. Number two, God wants to be number one. He wants to be number one. And he wants us to respond to him in faith. I want you to stand to your feet. And while you're standing, everybody listen to me, please, unless, unless you've got a, a meeting to go to. I understand if you've got a, an engagement, you've got to meet somebody. But if you don't have a meeting right now, I'm going to just ask you to hang in here with us. Just hang in here with us for the next few minutes. Everybody's standing all over the house. I'd like just for us to conclude this service with a prayer of consecration where we consecrate ourselves to God anew and afresh. We give ourselves to the Lord anew and afresh. He doesn't want just a part of me or you. He wants all of us. He wants to be number one. I'm gonna ask for everybody that will to get up from your seat and come down here. And by coming, you're saying, Jesus, I want you to be number one in my life. Jesus, I want you, I want you to be that pearl of great price in my life. Jesus, I give you everything. Jesus, it's not about me holding on to what I can hold on to, but Jesus, I give you everything. I give you everything. It's just, that's it, come on down. Come on down all over this house. We pray right now that God uses this message to plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. Evangel's all about making the name of Jesus famous and His church glorious. We love God, love people, and love life. And we're here for you, working to help draw people from impossible situations into a loving and friendly circle of hope where answers are found and acceptance is given. We invite you to join us for any of our services, Sunday mornings at 10.30 and Wednesday evenings at 7. We're located at 2300 Old Bainbridge Road in Tallahassee. We have fantastic programs for kids and youth and small groups to make deeper connections. And we pray that God blesses you richly and abundantly as you continue to seek Him first in all of your life.